by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. How many has ever heard of Stevie Ray Vaughan? Stevie Ray Vaughan. He's a blues guitar player. He was my hero growing up. I was a young guitar player. At first, it was, you know, Leonard Skinner and play, people like that. Eric Clapton was one of my first. But then when Stevie Ray hit the scene, man, I, I was done for. He, man, he was tops to me. He was the best guitar player I'd ever seen. And I was just, he was my, I hate to say it, but I, didn't, I wasn't saved at the time. He was kind of my idol. I was 25 years old when he died in a, in a plane crash in 1990. And I cried like a baby, <laughs> a grown man. I cried. I didn't even know the man, you know. I just knew about him. But uh, I like Stevie Ray now. And uh, I wanted to be like him. I, I brought some pictures today. You don't have to get the lights, but could you put that first picture up that I brought to show you how much I like Stevie? There's Stevie. His old, they call that his number one guitar because that's the one he obviously used all the time. Look how beat up it is. And here he is again, the next picture. Dude's playing it behind his head. I thought, man, that's cool. How can he play behind it? He used to play behind his back. And you don't know, you'd have to take the strap undone and come around and restrap it behind your back to get it back there. You can't just, it won't go back there. I, it looked easy when he did it, and I tried it, you know. Yeah, I tried it. Mullet man! I told y'all I had a mullet. You didn't believe it. There it is for all to see. Oh. But man, Stevie Ray was jamming. I had to do it too, you know. You know what I think it was about Stevie Ray? When he played the guitar, man, he had the passion. He was, you know, his face showed the passion. He was sweating. I mean, he didn't leave a concert unless he had laid it all out on the stage yet. Now go to the next one. There he is. Look, look at that face. And if you could hear that note he's playing right now. Wah! I mean, that's the, that's the real deal. And so I wanted to be like Steve. Hit the next one. <laughs> and you may see me today doing the same thing. You got to bend a note for all it's worth. Hey, that's the first gig that, uh, the band was called Diesel Jane at the time, and you all have heard our testimony how we played in the nightclubs for five years. That is the first gig that we ever played as Diesel Jane. That was many years ago, and we, you can't see it. It looks glorious in that picture, but we were standing on two lawnmower tra uh, trailers <laughs> around a bonfire with a bunch of really drunk folks and uh, for free. you know. But that was our first gig, and we played five years as, under Diesel Jane, and then we all got saved in that next year. And then we've been playing close to 20, 19 years now uh, for the Lord. So God knew what he was doing even way back then. There was a lot of things I did. I was just so passionate about guitar and music and my life and wanting to be famous and all those dreams and, and plans that I had back then. 
There was one time we were playing, I was in a different band, it was a country band, and we was playing up on this big tractor-trailer stage and had Budweiser signs all behind us, big festival, you know. I got, we had the wireless guitars, and I was jamming so hard, I don't know, I just got the inspiration, and I jumped off. And I landed on the ground in amongst the people and was jamming, going out there and everything. And everybody was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I went to get back up on the stage and I realized the stage was about that tall. <laughs> and so I'm like, bang, 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 trying to get, I can't get up on the stage. I had to go around the side and everybody's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> there was another time after a gig, I... Back in the 90s, those heavy metal guys had got to where they would sling their guitars all over, and they would go behind their head and come back, and they'd catch it and keep playing. And I said, I got to do that. And so I went outside to try it out, and I had this guitar, and I slung it, and when I did, it just kept going. <laughs> About 15 feet in the air. I didn't know, you know, he had to have some special hardware to hold that strap on. To do. That was hard to do. That's a heavy thing to come around. You really got to put some force in it. I didn't know that. Good thing it wasn't my, my number one guitar. <laughs> and then we were playing at a nightclub one night. You know, I like to do those five and six, eight-minute solos. And the band was like, oh, Lord. And Tony's shaking his head. And I was, I was jamming one night, and there was this big speaker, you know, set up on my side of the stage. And I don't know what possessed me, but I ran, and I jumped up on that speaker. And guess what happened? I'll tell you later. But let me just say this, passion doesn't always end well. <laughs> so you can be passionate and ha not have it end well. Galatians 5.24 says, those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. So there are sinful passions. Those are the ones you've got to look out for. But see, not all passion is bad. If so, we weren't to call ourselves, what? The Passion Church. Ah, we're the Passion Church. And look, even in our mission statement, we're a fire igniting the what? Passionate pursuit of true purpose in people's lives. You see, there's a true purpose to your life. And oh, you're supposed to be passionate about that. That's what you're supposed to, not those sinful desires, those sinful pleasures. Don't be passionate about that anymore. But there is a true purpose. And see, we're a fire. And that's what I thought this week. You know, it just came to me. We've been preaching on practical things, but I can't stay on practical things long. I got to get back on some Jesus. I got to get to talking about the things that fire me up, you know. I mean, it's good to learn and, and know how to live this life, but you ain't going to have the source to live this life unless you stir up some passion for Jesus. Let me just tell you right now. So I, I just said, let's get back to the passion for a minute here. I wrote this, and this is on your sheet. Also, I, I forgot the first one. The name of today's message on your sheet is Passion, Back in Fashion. That's the name of today's message. And then one of the other ones, I think the second one on there says, Godly passion isn't bad, sinful passion is. When our emotions are used for their true purpose, they can be a mighty force for good. When we use our emotions, you know, it's not bad to be emotional if you're emotional about the right things. If you're an emotional basket case, that's not good. Mo emotions can be terrible if you, if you let them control you. We're supposed to be controlled by our spirit. But, oh, our spirit 
It can unleash some passion if you let it. Colossians 3.23 in the Amplified. It says, whatever you do, whatever your task may be, work from, that, from the soul. Oh, that is, put in your very best effort as something done for the Lord and not for men. Whatever you do. I mean, if you have a passion for digging ditches, you have a passion for planting gardens, you have a passion for needlepoint, you have a passion for accounting, you have a passion for guitar, whatever it may be, do everything as if you do it unto the Lord from the soul with passion. God is a God of passion. You realize that, right? And he gave us emotions to help us carry as a tool to help us carry on when things are tough. You need some passion in your life. I was passionate about seeking my own glory in those pictures, but now I'm passionate about giving God glory. You see, that's the change. That's, that's the shift that went on in my understanding of life. It's no longer about me, but it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. I must die to myself and live unto God. Here's another one on your sheet. Here's a note. Passion with humility is a great goal to shoot for. Because see, if you don't have humility with your passion, I didn't. I was, just, I was passionate, boy. But it wasn't about it. I mean, you, the word humility wouldn't have come up in regards to Guy Sheffield playing the guitar in the old days. But you know what? I always use myself as a bad example. <laughs> but we need to examine our own lives. Because there's a lot of people even in the Bible that have been to both extremes. Some of us, may, I don't see a show of hands, but you may have served the devil with a lot of passion in the old days. But just don't forget, with that same passion, it needs to be turned around to serve the Lord. There was the, uh, the Pharisee Saul, you remember the Pharisee Saul? Versus the Apostle Paul. Yeah, it does run. The Pharisee Saul versus the Apostle Paul. How many of you know that's just one man? <laughs> He's the same guy. But see, he was passionate about his pursuit of religious stuff. He like had a PhD. He was a Pharisee. You had to be the smartest of the smart. You had to go through all, you had to memorize the first five books of the Bible to be a Pharisee. What I was told. But here is a man, he, was, he had a lot of zeal to do good stuff before he even knew Jesus. In fact, he persecuted the church. He thought he was doing God a favor by killing Christians. It says in Philippians 3, 4, go ahead and turn there. Philippians 3, 4, I've got to slow down. <clears throat> Philippians 3, 4. He says, though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, indeed, I have more reason for confidence in my own efforts. If they have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more, he said. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I don't know why he's bragging about that. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. 
I was so zealous, he says, or zealous could be used as another word for what? Passionate. If you got zeal, you got passion. I was so passionate that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. So he was saying before he knew Jesus, he was a passionate fellow. If anybody could be passionate and say that they were using their passion to pursue their goals in life, it was him. He had it all together. And he didn't understand that his passion was misplaced, that his zeal was misdirected. But see, God knew. God looked and saw Paul, or Saul, he said, I can use that fella. He's got a lot of passion. He's got a lot of zeal. He don't know where to put it, but I'll show him. I'll show him. I'll show him what to boast about. <laughs> he did too. Paul went on to say in another scripture, he was talking about, you know, I've been shipwrecked, I've been stoned, I've been left for dead. I got, he, he goes on for like 15 verses about all the things he's been through, but he says, if I'm going to boast, it's, I'm going to boast in my weakness. God showed him what to boast about. And later on, after he came to know the Lord, if you continue down in Philippians 3, 7, it says, I once thought these things were valuable. I'm talking about all the learning and all the position he had as a Pharisee. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. He got a shift in his understanding. And I love this eighth verse. I mean, this, you could preach a million sermons right here. I mean, this could sum up the Bible just about. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He said, all that stuff doesn't matter to me anymore. You can burn my degrees. You can take down all my trophies. All the stuff that I counted as, yeah, yeah, doesn't mean anything to me now. He says, for Jesus' sake, I have discarded everything else, counted it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. So he just... When you get a, a glimpse of the big picture of God's plan for your life and you realize it's not about you, you get a shift in your understanding. And I think most of everybody in here probably has been through that. You've lived life for self. You've pursued your passions that you thought were your passions. They may have, you realized they were misdirected. God came in and saved you from yourself. And then he began to show you what's your calling. He began to show you where to put your passions. And today, we're here to stir up those passions because over time, if we let them, we'll wonder where they went. Let's talk about a few people. We talked about Apostle Paul. Let's talk about David. David's one that we all can identify with. We talk about him a lot. On Sunday, David's dancing before the Lord. I mean, he danced out of his clothes. He didn't care what anybody, he was the king, and he danced before the Ark of the Covenant. His own wife said, what are you doing? You're making us look foolish. He said, I don't care. You ain't seen nothing yet. Tremendous zeal for the Lord. But then on Monday, he's got a passion for Bathsheba. Woo. Now, this is talking about a man that already knows the Lord. Different situation. He knows the Lord. He has passion for God unspeakable. But then a little while later, his human passions arise, and he gets himself in his biggest trouble. 
And so even once you get saved, you got to keep your passion in the right direction. You can't unleash it just in any direction. David was so passionate, God called him a man after my own heart. And I think a lot of it was because David was just honest with God, sometimes brutally honest. Sometimes I read through the, the Psalms and I'm like, that can't be in the Bible. Did he really say that? I mean, for all those guys who t teach positive confession and, and saying the right things and stuff, they'll have a problem when they read some of David's Psalms. Look at uh, Psalms 13. He says, Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? Well, that's not scripturally correct. God's eyes are always on us, right? He's not forgot us. How dare he say these things? How long must I struggle with the anguish in my soul and the sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemies have the upper hand? Well, we know our enemies don't have the upper hand. Our enemies are defeated. David, what are you saying? He says, turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. What a positive confession. But you know what? That's the reason for this message. Really, in a roundabout way, I was, I'll be honest with you. I'm a passionate guy, and I don't like to lose. I don't like to lose at anything. You ever play Scrabble with me or something, you know? Sometimes when I'm praying, and it's been a tough week, and we're praying about people's loved ones, and there's people sick in the church, and we've anointed them with oil, and they're still sick, and I still got this little cough thing going on, I'm going to be honest. This week, somewhere around Tuesday morning, I was praying. And I'm glad that there ain't nobody in these buildings next to us because my voice got a little loud. And I'm not saying be disrespectful for, to God, but I'm saying if you're angry, he already knows it. You might as well express it and get it out and get it over with. That's what David showed us. You can be honest with God. You throw up these little... Oh, Father with art in heaven prayers with no emotion? I mean, I don't even know if he listens to that. To be honest, if you just got this little same prayer you say every day kind of thing, that's got to be really boring to God. And I'm not saying you get in here and you, you cuss God or nothing like that, but I want to know God. God, we're coming to you. We're praying. You're telling me this whole church can't muster the... Uh, uh, a grain of faith like a mustard seed to get an answer to our prayers? This whole church, you're telling me, God, that we can't put together a mustard seed of faith? And we're seeing, we're, the devil's getting victory? Man, I was real with God, I'm going to just tell you. And I always feel bad afterwards, and I apologize to him, saying, Lord, I'm sorry if I raised my voice or whatever. But it's real. And I just get real. And sometimes you need to get real with God. God is not some machine up there. He says, make your case before me. Come on. Let's talk about it. I think God is waiting for a little passion out of his church. Maybe he, maybe he don't answer some prayers until we get passionate about our prayers. Jesus said, I wish you were cold or hot or something. But don't be lukewarm. What are you doing? You're just throwing these weak prayers. 
I'll spew that out of my mouth. Come on. Get real with me. There's two men praying in the Bible. Jesus tells us the story. One of them's a Pharisee. He's got those King James prayers. He's got the long flowing robe. Says he lifts his eyes up to heaven and prays with himself. And that's what he was doing, praying with himself. God, what no more hearing them stale prayers? Oh God, I think I'm not like that tax collector over there. I give tithes. I do everything right. You love me. Just religious. But it says in, in uh, Luke 18, 13, it says, but that tax collector stood at a distance. He didn't even feel worthy to come into God's presence. He dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest. Passion. In sorrow. Saying, oh God, be merciful, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. I tell you this, that sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. Which prayer did God hear? The one that sounded theologically correct or the one that had passion true emotion there's Caleb in the Bible you remember him there was Moses sent out 12 spies you know they had just come out of Egypt it hadn't been long and it was time to go into the promised land and so Moses sent 12 spies to go over there and see what it looked like and two of them was uh, Joshua and Caleb and we're talking about Caleb well they went in they spied it out and they came back and Joshua and Caleb said, man, it is everything that we desired. Oh, it's wonderful, just like God said it would be. It's flowing, it's dripping with milk and honey. Let's go right in and possess it. God says we're well able. Let's do it. Let's get, woo, let's do it. With that kind of attitude. But the other ten said, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, Caleb, but listen up. Moses, there's giants over there. We're like little grasshoppers. They will kill us. There's no way we're not going. And so they talked the people out of it. They could have went right on in. God got so angry. What happened? They had to circle in the desert for 40 years until all those naysayers died off. Man, they, you don't think God could have given them that land? But they didn't. Joshua 14, 7, turn there, and we'll see what happened with Caleb. 40 years later. He had to wait 40 years, not because of his lack of passion, because of the, the congregation's lack of passion. So we need to stir each other up, because where we're going depends on somebody else in here. We can't do it alone. You can't live on just the pastor's passion if we're going to be a church. Joshua 14. Fourteen seven. This is this is Caleb talking. Now this is after everybody else died off. Guess who lived? Joshua and Caleb, the only two that's still living after the forty years in the desert. It's a whole new crew now. They're trying to get it stirred up. Now they're entering into the promised land, and they've went in and they've taken some cities, and it's mostly subdued, but there's still pockets of resistance that they have to take care of. And Caleb says this. He says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land of Canaan. It was 40 years ago I spied that land out. I returned and gave an honest report. But my brothers who went with me frightened the people from entering the promised land. For my part, 
I wholeheartedly follow the Lord my God. Really, you can only do your part. So that day, Moses solemnly promised me, the land of Cana on which you were just walking will be your grant of land and that of your descendants forever because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord. Now, as you see, the Lord has kept me alive and well as he promised all these 45 years since Moses made this promise, even while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And today, I'm 85 years old. Man, how many wants to wait till 85 till we grow this church? I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey. And I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You will remember as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living there in great walled towns. In other words, the giants. They were the giants of Anak. And they lived in great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land just as the Lord said. He's still spunky. He's 85 years old and still spunky. So Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron to him as his portion of land. Hebron still belongs to the descendants of Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kizanite, because he wholeheartedly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Man, God is just waiting to bless you. He's waiting to bless those who will wholeheartedly follow the Lord. What does God want you passionate about? What, look, I'm going to discuss a few things God wants you passionate about. First, he wants you passionate about him. If you're passionate about that, everything else will follow in line. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That pretty much sums it up. But he doesn't say love him a little bit with your head, love him a little bit with your heart. All your heart, all your soul, everything that you are, your mind, will, and emotions, be overcome with passion for God. You should be passionate. That was the first thing on your sheet there if you're writing them down. Be passionate about Him. Be passionate about your calling and what He called you to do. Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 11, he says, So we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of His call. That you'll live a life worthy of the call. That you weren't just cold. That you weren't just lukewarm. That you were passionate and worthy of the calling. He wants you to be passionate in your prayers. James 5, 16 in the King James says, The effectual fervent, fervent means passionate, prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Maybe that's why we're praying and we're not getting the results. Maybe somebody has to stand in the gap and get up here and get wild and crazy and show some emotion. The effectual, effectual bees knowing how to pray, what to pray, according to his word, according to his will, but fervent means passionately. Not just throwing up, uh, oh, your whole family is... Lost at sea? Okay, I'll pray for you, brother. Lord, help that man. <laughs> and that's it. You walk on. There comes a time when you're going to have to dig deeper. God's like, what? what I, I didn't catch that. 
effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. If your prayers are not being answered, are you praying effectually? Are you praying fervently? Another thing is witnessing. God loves to, to anoint you, to witness, to use your gifts and talents to help others find Jesus. In Acts 18, verse 24, we find the story of a Jew named Apollos. And this was early on. This is just, you know, just Jesus had just left. This Apollos may have never seen Jesus physically. It doesn't seem like. It says, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the Scriptures well, he had studied the Scriptures and knew them well, and he spoke well, had arrived from Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt, and he had been taught the way of the Lord. Somebody had, had explained to him about Jesus. And he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit. <laughs> oh, Lord, help me if I ever get up here and bore you. I may not be an eloquent speaker, and I may not know the Scriptures real well, but the Scriptures that I have, if I get up here and bore you with the Scriptures, that's a sin. If you got some preacher up here, the meaning of the tribes of Israel released the Canaan a lot by Eliezer the priest. And you're like, I mean, some of you guys are in here sleeping, but I get my voice loud enough to wake you up, you know. <clears throat> Apollos preached with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy, meaning he, pre he preached what was right to the point where he knew what was right. It says, however, he only knew about John's baptism. So he didn't know about the baptism of fire. He didn't know that you could be filled with the Holy Spirit. He didn't know some of the other things associated with being a Christian. He just preached what the basic stuff he knew. And that was fine because, you see, God didn't say, well, he's kind of limited. We'll only use him a little bit. Or, and the, peop the people didn't say, well, he don't know what he's doing. He's young, you know. He, he don't know everything, so we can't use him. No, you foster those people that are growing because look what happened. When a Priscilla and Aquila, more mature people, heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. Why? So that he could keep going. They're, they're raising him up. They, say, they see a passion in him. And they say, we're going to take this guy. He speaks eloquently. He, knows, he studies the scriptures. He's got a heart for this thing. Let's not criticize the things he does wrong. Let's just steer him in the right direction. Some of you are saying, I, I don't know everything about the Scriptures. I can't witness yet. i, I got to get it all right before I do anything. Hogwash. Man, when we had that uh, class here recently to teach people how to witness, the main point of it was just relax. It's just people. Just talk to them. And we, we had some scenarios where Somebody came up here that didn't know what they were doing. We said, go at it. What would you say? And they said, hey, what are you, how are you doing? Nice to meet you. Uh, we're, we're out here. Um, you know Jesus? You know, and that would be about what they know. And we were like, good. That's fine. Start where you're at. There's no wrong place to start. You may say wrong things. Oh, brother, did I say some wrong things looking back. Talking about zeal, when I got saved, I got saved, saved. And I was telling everybody whether they wanted to hear it or not. And a lot of what I was saying was probably wrong. But I had that zeal. And God didn't get mad. He was happy. God loves to see that fresh fire burning. He'll direct you. He'll steer you in the right path. Let's calm down a little bit about everybody got, think they got to have a theological degree before they can witness to anybody. They can invite anybody to church. 
If that's all you know to say is where the church is, that's a witness. Hand them a business card. Say, um, I don't, that's a witness. Start where you're at. God loves a witness. Just be so passionate about Jesus, you can't help yourself. That's the way I was. Another thing is loving one another. I mean, there's so many things to be passionate about. I'm just picking a few. 1 Peter 1.22 says, You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. And listen to this. Love each other deeply with all your heart. So we love God with all our heart. He wants us to love each other. Be passionate about your love for one another. We can be the family for each other that we always wished we had when we were growing up. We can have so much family in this place. And if, the, if somebody gets a spark and, and a passion about loving one another in this place and begins to show it, there's, there's wildfires going on in here now. She's asleep right now, but she has started a fire in the youth group. This sleeping little lump of cells has started a fire in the youth group. Because God got a hold of her and cited her. This one, this one, I don't know this one, this one. My name's Guy, nice to meet you. And this one, what a fire he's starting. What a fresh fire. Man, God can work with this young man. Wow. And so many others, so many others. This church is full of fire. And the more we put those fires together, we'll be burning so bright, man. All of DeSoto County is like, what in the world's going on over there? There's a glow coming back from that building way, way in the back. <laughs> well, they can see it all the way from Goodman Road. They won't have to look for us. <laughs> Dr. Kenneth Boa, he said this. I don't know who Dr. Kenneth Boa is, but he said this. I say these, I throw out these quotes like I know these people personally. <laughs> The obvious question that begs to be asked is, if God could create and sustain a universe that is as, as amazingly complex as ours, if that same God could put together a plan to redeem lost and fallen humanity, if that God would go to such lengths to rescue people who didn't even know they were in peril, could that God be trusted? If he threw the universe into existence, he looked down, and we're messing it up, but he gave his life to redeem us and to put us on the right path. A love like that, could it be trusted, is what he's asking. Could it be that his purpose for our lives is better than that which we can construct on our own? If he is God, he created us, he knit us together in our mother's womb and gave us purpose and direction. Could it be that his plan for our lives is better than our own? The answer is, of course. But before we pat ourselves on the back for having answered correctly, the follow-up question looms large. So what? What are the implications of this? How are our lives reflecting this belief? If you really believe what you say you believe, is your life reflecting that? Because it's all the rage in America to say you're a Christian. But the only time you can tell is on Sunday morning. 
Is your life reflecting that you really believe what you say you believe? And all of us struggle in that area. I'm, I'm the pastor, but if you look at my life, there's areas that I know what the Word says and I believe it mentally, but I'm still scared to apply it. Why? Because do I really believe it? So our job is to begin to really believe and our lives to really show that we are really thankful for really being saved from a real hell and the real sin that was killing us and destroying our lives. That we serve a real God who, who is really passionate about us and we really say we really love. Do our lives reflect what we really say? Passionate people live passionately. Patrick Henry said, give me liberty or give me death. I say, give me God or I might as well go and be with him right now. If I'm not going to be passionate in this life, if I'm not going to fulfill my calling, what am I doing just taking up space and breathing somebody's air? My life needs to count. Martin Luther King Jr. says, I'm so happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. For mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. You go back and watch on YouTube that video. This is the night before he died. He knew that they were going to kill him. He knew he could be killed at the moment he's speaking that. Because there was no security in that place. He knew everybody was after him. But he said, mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And I'm not afraid of any man. And you look at his eyes, and they're glazed over, and he's sitting there. He ain't scared. He's passionate, and he's willing to die for what he says he believes. He was a man of God. And we need to be men and women of God. Jesus was the most passionate of all. Oh, how our Lord was passionate. He ran them money changers up out of the temple. And it wasn't because he was having a bad day and had an attitude. It says in Psalm 69, 9, it prophesies, Passion for your house has consumed me, the Lord would say. And the insults of those who insult you, Father, they have fallen on me. And I'm not taking it anymore. Get, it, get these money changed. Get these tables. I, I don't think he went around. Could you please move over a little bit? <laughs> he had a whip in his hand. Jesus used his emotions. His, he had passion. He wept, he laughed, he had joy. He suffered great anguish as so much as to, to sweat great drops of blood in the garden. Jesus was passionate, I'm telling you. And ultimately, it was his passion that saved you and me. You don't think passion is important? They call it the passion of the Christ. It was passion that saved you and me. It was his willingness to suffer. His, his love for you that held him to the cross. There was great passion in what he did. He had to, have, he had to go into it with a firm resolve that was led by passion. A passion for his people. For the joy set before in the day that you would come to Jesus Christ. You would be his. And that we would live together forever. He was passionate. Like never seen on the face of the earth he was passionate. Willing to lay down everything. To go to the lowest parts of the earth. To save mankind from their boredom. From their 
la, la, I think I'm okay, I hope I'm okay, and then die and go to hell. To wake us up to life is worth living. You see, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus is passionate about life. And he wants you to be passionate about life. Not just making it through it. That's not life at all. So, I jumped up on that speaker. I was in the middle of a solo, and I had it cranked up. I had like two amps plugged together, and it was real loud. And I jumped up on that speaker, and I, I heard this wop, 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 wop. And I realized rather quickly it was my head in the ceiling fan. Wop, 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 wop. And so I ducked down and tried to finish the solo, but I realized everybody had seen that already. And I said, this is further humiliating, so I slunk off the speaker and went and tried to hide behind the speaker. To fr- But now that I serve the Lord, there is no ceiling. And the only fan that I worry about is fanning into flames the Spirit of God within me every day. I can jump up on a speaker if I want to. For Jesus. I want you to play that video. Tom, get the lights. Man, this is a this is horrible video quality, but a wonderful audio message. Off the team, whatever. You know, just there's so much instability, so much that we don't understand, that, that we don't know. For me, growing up, it was, uh, a lot of you guys know, my mom died giving birth to me. And my dad remarried, then my stepmom died in a car accident when I was nine. Then my dad got married again. Then my dad died of cancer when I was 12. And so I'm in junior high, my mom's dead, my stepmom's dead, my dad's dead. The only close relatives I had were my, my aunt and uncle, George and Sandra. And then when I was in high school, they got in a fight, and my uncle George shot and killed my aunt, and then stuck the gun to his own head, killed himself. So I'm 16 years old, and this is life to me, going, man, what's next? Everything seems to be falling apart, and we get a little worried, we get a little scared. And this is what Christians do, you know, they try to serve God, but then things get a little rocky, and things get a little unstable. And so we go, okay, that was nuts, I don't, I don't want to live like that, let me, uh, let me hold on. And this is your routine, this is what so many people do, they go, you know what, I'm not going to try anything crazy. I'm just going to sit here, and uh, I'm just going to hold on, and uh, this is what you look like. You just go, uh, this is what people do. You know what, I'm just going to have my nice little family. We're just going to, you know, we're just going to keep to ourselves. We're going to live in a gated community. I'm going to homeschool my kids, make them wear helmets everywhere. I'm going to... 
you know, I'm not going to let him outside because son has bad rays. I'm going to, um, you know, just on and on and on. And you just live your life in the safety of, I don't want to do anything crazy for God. I just, I just want to, you know, go to church on Sundays and maybe give like 2% um, and uh, maybe serve, help the nursery because I feel guilty. And then you do this your whole life. And then you, you go, your greatest prayer is like, God, you know what? I would love to die in my sleep and not even feel it and then just go up to heaven. And so you want to die like this, just in your sleep, ooh, right in the middle of a dream, good dream, the dream you're going to heaven and you don't even feel it. And then suddenly you wake up, you stand before the judge, and you go. Now, if... uh, Could you imagine... Could you imagine watching the Olympics, you know? And some girl does that, just gets up there, starts straddling the thing, and then steps off and goes... What is the judge supposed to do on the card? You see, and to me, I go, man, that's the routine that so many Christians are headed for. That's the routine, the boring, I do nothing crazy because I don't want to fall. I, I, that's the routine that they're going to live, and then one day it's going to be a shock because they're going to step off that balance beam and realize they're standing before the judge. They're standing before the judge, and you think he's going to look at that routine and go, Wow, well done. Well done. You live the safest life possible. You didn't slip. You didn't fall. See, that's not the life that God's called us to. That's where the majority will head. But I don't want to go where the majority goes. Can I get an amen on that? That's not us. There's, there'll be times in life where you're just holding on. But when you've weathered the storm and seen God's deliverance, then you get back up and you do a triple sow cow. <clears throat> and I don't even know what that is. I think that may be ice skating. If you could be on that balance beam on some ice skates, then you're living the Christian life. Romans 12, 11 in the English Standard Version says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. So are you, ask yourself, I, I, I don't want to ask you out loud, but are you serve, serving the Lord passionately? Are you living a passionate life? Or are you just trying to get through? You're just holding on. Everybody's got to ask that question. Some of us may have started out serving the Lord passionately, you know, but we lost it. We've let the fire die down. We're Sunday, we're dancing before the Lord, and on Monday, it's me and Bathsheba. Oh, man, I was going to, I forgot to leave my billfold in here. I was going to give you an illustration. I've got a library card in my billfold, and I was going to say, I was going to show it to you and say, guess what? I go to the library in Hernando maybe once or twice a year. And if somebody came and took my library card out of my billfold, I'd be, what are you doing? You know, oh, you need that or whatever. He threw it on the ground. 
I mean, I, it don't matter that much. It wasn't that important to me. And uh, some people go to church once or twice a year. They don't make it this year. Eh, that's about how much their Christianity means. It's like a, a wore-out old library card in their wallet. Now, if I had some cash money, somebody took my cash money, I, hey, oh, that's different. I worked hard for that. You know, I might... May get a little upset, but it's not everything. You know, it's 50 bucks or something. You know, it's not the end of the world, but I still, oh, you know, it's mine. That's mine. I'll be holding on to it. And some of us are like that. We're willing to give a little bit in the offering plate. We're willing to give God a little bit. And we're, we say we're holding on to that, but it's not all the way. Somebody begin to take your credit cards. Oh, they got your credit. Oh, they got your ID. Now they can get into your bank account. Now we're panicking. Now we're panicking. It, we're all in. We're, look, take the whole billfold. Throw it over your shoulder. Say, that don't matter to me. I am di I've died to all the stuff. No matter what happens in this world, if they take everything from me, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Stir yourselves up and stop holding on. To the balance beam. Stop holding on to that wallet and everything in it. Because it's all good. They're not going to put your wallet in there when, when you're in the casket. Somebody's going to be spending your stuff. Ain't they? In fact, they might be fighting over it before they even get you in the ground good. They'll probably be killing one another. They'll probably be a split in the family before you even hit the ground. Over your stuff. And so why'd you save it all up? Why didn't you use it? Why didn't we begin to look at things differently? Why didn't we live free like the Bible tells us to? Unencumbered by things. I look at Brother Don and Becky. They just don't talk about me. The givenest people I know. Man, I mean, every, they're looking for opportunities to give their money away. I don't know where they keep getting it, and they probably don't either. They give, they, they're looking for opportunities to bless people. They, he came over and did about $300 worth of car work me for free the other day and bought me a starter and wanted to buy the part they bought the parts and everything for me just to be a blessing and he does it for everybody not just me they're always doing stuff for other people and they live free from the worry of what if something takes uh, i'm sure you got some worry <laughs> we all do i mean you got to hold on to a point but you got to be willing to let go at a point and you say no my passion for god is enough and God keeps blessing them and, and giving them more. And many of you are like that. Just such givers and, and living such passionate lives. What's in your wallet? <clears throat> this new guy over here is giving me the eye. I don't know about this cat, man. Look, I was lost, and now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was without hope in this world. I was dead in my sins and trespasses. I was making a fool out of myself at every turn. I had no direction. Life had lost all meaning to me. I had grown mature enough to see that if we all come from apes, 
and there's no one to be held accountable to, then what is the point? I was making mistakes. I was losing my family. I might as well have just been a lifeless blob of cells. I didn't enjoy life anymore. I was mad. I was disgusted. When Jesus came into my life and forgave me of my sins, put his spirit in my heart, gave me his love and forgave my sins and showed me that there is a calling, there is a purpose, there is a plan, there is a destiny, there's a place for me to be and that, that somebody does care about me and that he's with me always and he loves me unconditionally and he's going to work with me through all my stuff. And there's a, just a total mind shift of what life is all about. I fell in love with Jesus. Overnight. I began to have supernatural experiences in my life. I could feel his presence. I knew that I knew that I knew that I was going to heaven. I know that he's my dad. He's my Abba Father. I am so in love with Christ. I just, I just want to be near him. For me to live as Christ, to die as gain, I'm in a straight betwixt two. It's far better for me to go and be with the Lord, but for your sakes, I'll stay down here. <laughs> the way Paul said it. I understand that this life is but for a moment, this light affliction. I understand that there's a far greater weight of glory in the life to come. I understand that it's not about me. It's about him. And I'm good with that because he is everything that I was not. He's everything that I want to be like. I don't want the glory of this world. I don't want the fickle appreciation of people who will build you up one moment and tear you down the next, all for their, their kicks. I don't care anything about that. I don't care about building kingdoms here of my own, just the kingdom of God, because it's the only thing eternal. The only thing you'll bring out of this life is somebody else. And you've got to have passion to do it. You've got to let his flame burn in your heart. If you're not telling others about Jesus, if you're not inviting them to church, if your life is seeming drab and unimportant and you're starting to say, what's the point? You're not walking closely enough with Jesus because if you walk with him, you'll be agreed with him and he thinks you're the bomb. He thinks you're the best thing. He was willing to die for you. He's like, if you only knew the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and for you to be in health and your soul to prosper, Man, if you only knew the things that we could do if you would passionately walk with me. He has got a plan for you. It says over in Exodus, the 34th verse, it says you must worship no other gods. Whatever you've made the God of this world, whatever's more important to you than your church family or your relationship with Jesus, whatever you're putting first in your life, you must have worship no other gods for the Lord whose name is jealous. Look, he's jealous. He's not an emotionless God. He's not a, a machine in the sky. He is jealous when he sees you going whoring after other gods like cocaine or alcohol or adultery or your job. 
when it becomes more important, when he sees you whoring after all the things of this world, he is a jealous God, and it hurts his feelings. And the Strong's Concordance says the word jealous there could also be translated zealous, which means passionate. He is a passionate God. Oh, we serve a passionate God. And it says he is a God who is passionate or jealous about his relationship with you. He's passionate about his relationship with you. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with a God who's done all this and he's passionate about knowing you? Spend time with him. All the problems that you thought were so big and so important. You mean I wasted my time worrying? You mean I wasted my life stressing? Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.